So sometimes in Buddhism, the mind is likened to a knife or a sword in a positive way. One of the positive ways is as a sword or knife that cuts through delusion. And I think of delusion as being kind of a veil that hinders our ability to see clearly. And so sometimes that veil fades away into nothing, but also it's possible to cut through it or, and uh, with one sweep of the knife. And it also points to the idea of the mind becoming sometimes very sharp, kind of a, sh a very sh clear and precise. And, you know, even though the mind can get very still and very calm, as the mindfulness and the awareness gets clearer and more alert, more refined or more cleansed, it also becomes more insightful. It becomes more clear. It becomes more sharp and more sharp to really see this moment and its clarity, not the vague experience of the moment, you know, just kind of, you know, but really, really more the, you know, really the precision in a sense of our moment to moment experience. And one way of understanding this practice is in fact, sharpening the mind, <clears throat> the ability to be mindful and clear. With that analogy, with that you know, the idea of sharpening the knife. Uh, conventionally, at least in the old days, when you sharpen knives, you used a whetstone. And without, if you, if you don't push the analogy too much or question it too much, it doesn't really matter if the knife that you sharpen, uh, what whetstone you use. You know, you could do it for a while on one whetstone and then go another one whetstone and use it and another one and use it. And it doesn't matter. They all kind of equally help the knife sharpen. And so in the cultivation of mindfulness, cultivation of stronger awareness, present moment attention, it doesn't really matter what your experience is that you're being aware of. All experiences you have are equal in its ability to sharpen or develop our capacity to be present here and now. And so one of the kind of approaches to mindfulness practice, awareness practice, is to be relatively equanimous about what it is that you're paying attention to, what you're giving your attention to, because it isn't so important what the experience is it has some importance, but one of the things we're doing is we're using any experience as an excuse to be present, to see clearly, and to cultivate the, that ability to see clearly what's going on. And so one of the things we're doing is sharpening, strengthening, settling, calming the awareness so that it becomes clear it becomes sharper, it becomes more crystal clear or something. And so over and over again this retreat, I'm trying to point you to the nature of awareness itself, the qualities of attention, the 
capacity for mindfulness, the, the variety of attentional faculties that we have, that uh, we want to start becoming sensitive to their operation, how they are. And it's all too easy in daily life to be busy and kind of not notice attention, the qualities of attention, because we're so focused on the objects of attention. And so as we try to cultivate and strengthen these qualities of attention, remember, it's helpful sometimes to remember that uh, it's okay to use anything as a place to develop awareness. So the teacher I had in Burma, uh, Upandita, he was a uh, little bit of a fierce kind of personality and very determined and energetic. And, and um, he, um, when he was a young monk and started his meditation practice on retreat, there was, uh, he was given a room with a roommate, another monk, who I think, if I remember right, he kind of thought, at the time, he kind of thought this, this monk's lazy, you know, not really so serious, serious, and kind of a little bit, you know, was critical of him. Because one of the things that Upandita did, he would sit, before going to sleep, he would sit up and meditate in his bed way into the night. But this other monk would go to sleep. And he would snore. <laughs> and Upandita was indignant, you know, angry at this you know, lazy monk who's snoring and sleeping when you could be, you know, doing the important work. Of and then after a few days of this, Upandita decided to take the snoring as his whetstone, the snoring as the object of his attention. And Upandita said that with that, that became his door into the world of vipassana. That was the entryway by getting really focused and settled on that sound. <clears throat> so he was able to put aside or put to rest enough his aversion, his criticism, his commentary about it, the ways that he took it personal, the ways that you know, he felt it was interfering with his practice. And he rather turned towards it, and that became his whetstone. And it became very effective for him, and that was his door into that world of vipassana. So the idea that anything actually is a place of attention. Now, what are we paying attention to? What I'd like to recommend, that for, the, for mindfulness practice, sati practice, it's kind of, in some ways, we're just pay, paying attention to the obvious. Just the obvious. You don't have to dig and probe to find the most subtle, profound, possible thing to see. You just need to see something <laughs> so that you're practicing awareness and developing awareness. And so there is no distinction in some ways between profound and superficial in the context of what, of, you know, just cultivating mindfulness. So this, this, now this, now this, now this. So the obvious, so if you, you're going to be with a breathing, try to be with the breath in the obvious ways that the breath appears <coughs> and shows itself to you. Familiarize with that. 
You don't have to strain or kind of begin, there must be something better here to do or to see. Look, just look, look. What's, you know, notice what's obvious. As you do that, with time, as you familiarize and get to know it, things begin to change with the breathing. And you might see it more clearly, you might see it more deeply, if you like that kind of language. Um, the breathing itself might change and become more subtle and more satisfying. And so what you're being mindful of switches, switches and changes. But it's, you know, you're, you're kind of still using everything as an ability to learn to be present, stay there. Don't drift off in thought. Don't go drift off into being for or against the experience. Don't drift off into complicated commentary about it. The real simple, kind of like what's obvious here, even if what's obvious gets more subtle. And um, and then you know, in some ways, the description of this path, both in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness description and the, and the 16 Steps of Breath Meditation kind of goes from, there's a certain kind of way where it goes from what's most obvious, you know, what's clearest in ordinary circumstance perhaps, to more and more subtle, but all in its own time. And it's a movement uh, also from more external to going deep inside the journey to what's most intimate or deepest or, you know, the most, uh, most important within us. So if you sit down and be still, like, like meditation, don't move. One, f one idea is that the most obvious experience is the movements of the body, which has to do with breathing. As you stay there sitting there with the breathing, Sooner or later, the rest of the body is going to speak up and reveal itself to you. So you get to know the body. And if you really pay attention to tension and holding in the body, uh, what that tension generally wants to do, it wants to relax. Sometimes if you feel tension, holding pattern in your body, some kind of you're holding on, like you know, if, if your shoulders are tense, Usually they're more relaxed, but something happened, they're tense. Sometimes all you have to do is bring your attention to the fact that, of that tension, that holding, and you can almost, you don't have to even want to relax, but it's almost like the system will, ah, let go. And it's quite remarkable to just stay in the knowing and the awareness for holding and tensions. And then with time, many things resolve themselves by giving them space. So it doesn't have to be a constant negotiation, a constant making the effort to relax. But you are allowed to relax too, intentionally. So as you kind of relax and settle in, then what tends to become more obvious at some point are the basic, simple experiences of pleasant and unpleasant. And that becomes, you know, sometimes really loud and big. But if you're settling in and relaxing at the same time, then at some point, some kind of feelings, sensations of relaxation that are good, that feel good, become, they're there. And these feelings of, of, of well-being that can arise, 
is more intimate with oneself, is closer to maybe where we identify what's important for us than the outer body itself. Because how we negotiate the world, how we feel good about the world, how we feel good about ourselves, how we feel like we're happy or contented or something, has much more to do with the feeling tone of our system than it has to do with the more kind of sensations of the body otherwise. And then as we feel that, at some point, you know, uh, quiet down, the system settles a little bit more. At some point it becomes, what's obvious is uh, the activities of the mind. So, you know, one common one for people who begin meditating is that the mind keeps wandering off. You know, trying to be present and the mind goes off and you start noticing these mental activities. As we get calmer and more settled and feel more contented here, then um, uh, we tend to notice more the deeper operating systems of the mind, the deeper constructs and mental formations that go on. And if you just see it very, very clearly, make space for it to see it, there also there's a natural movement towards relaxing. Partly because these mental constructs and thoughts are not hardware in our minds, they're software that need to be reinforced, need to get fed by something. And as we just hold it in awareness without reacting for or against it, they, tend, they don't get fed anymore and they tend to dissipate and relax. And that's also a wonderful lesson to not, not for, for, for us not to be the agent for relaxing or letting go. It's fine to do that, it's actually healthy to do that to some degree, but some people can be obsessively, excessively concerned with adjusting and fixing and making themselves better, let's get ourselves in a good state, let's keep relaxing. And, um, but one of the things that reinforces is the idea that you're the agent, that you're the doer, and it, and it kind of can reinforce a certain kind of conceit or a certain kind of more complicated operation of the mind around self and me, myself and mine, which uh, is not so helpful for the really getting deep inside, to really get intimate in a deeper way. Surprisingly, the active activities of the mind around identification and ownership and possession um, uh, ironically, it keeps us from a deeper connection to ourselves. So at some point, we start recognizing these constructs and activities, and so rather than letting go of them, it's quite something to just to hold them in awareness, see them in a non-reactive way, not for or against, as if they're going to be there forever, but to really see them, really clearly, you know, like, like you're really you know, looking and being with them. And then you might notice that they release themselves, that they fade away themselves. Somehow they go away. And, uh, and then you see that, that uh, change can happen be because the system can do it. It's the nature to change as opposed to you're responsible and you did it. And that's a powerful lesson to learn and to learn that you can trust the awareness that you bring to the experience. Um, and, and that's a lesson that becomes very important as the meditation goes deeper and deeper. 
because the deeper it gets, uh, the less doing, less activity of the mind, constructs of the mind do you want to engage in. And it really helps to begin trusting that the system, that the nature of our psychophysical system or whatever, um, has a way of moving along the path, moving towards healing to health to liberation. It, ha it knows how to do it, given the chance. And so to stop being the agent, the one responsible, the one who has to do it, um, uh, kind of allevi alleviates or, or lessens uh, a whole bunch of uh, extra activity and that interferes with the very process of deep letting go that goes on. But you know, if you see mental constructs and activities, the instructions and you know, number step eight in Anapanasati is in fact to relax them. So you're, you're allowed to do it, it's a good thing to do, but you want to be careful that you don't hurry it. You have to remember that the seventh step is just know the mental formations. Don't know them in one moment, the next moment, you know, actively attack them to have them go away by relaxing. Just, you know, take, take your time. Give time to it to be there, respectful time. You want to respect things. Respect your constructs, even if they're uncomfortable. And then, um, and then when it feels right, you can see if you can let go, relax. But if they can't relax, then um, be content that this is the whetstone that you're given. So, so rather than seeing it as a drag or seeing, you know, making some, this is a problem that shouldn't be here, you can be content that, oh, just, it's just a, I guess I get this kind of whetstone today. And I'll just cultivate and strengthen my mindfulness on this until something shifts. And what I can guarantee is that things will shift. One of the delusions that I've operated under on retreat is have something going on that was uncomfortable, either physically, emotionally, or mentally, and um, was practicing diligently with the expectation, the desire, the hope, the demand that, you know, it should change, it should go away. And in doing that, sitting there like a cat in the mouse trap, waiting to see it go away. And I wasted a lot of time sitting that mouse trap door, that mouse door. Um, and, um, and then I finally kind of began letting up when I noticed that um, many times I didn't see something go away. Um, I got up and did walking meditation. I went to a meal. I did something. And then I came back and sat down and looked for it. <laughs> and it wasn't there. And that, hel that, hel that helped me from this kind of, you know, sitting there, I guess the mouse door, right? Just sitting there, the cat at the door, like I have to see it go away. And I, I was then contented myself with just be present. It's enough. Just, just, I'll be here with this. This is what I'm given. This is what's obvious. This is the experience of the moment. And my job is just to be present for it. And it's not going away easily. I can't just relax or let go. So this is my whetstone. This is what I'm, where my practice is, you know, being developed at this moment. It's like this. And this the idea of the whetstone uh, means that whether the experience is pleasant or unpleasant, 
whether it's preferable or not so preferable in your mind. You know, it just it, it all works equally, equally, equally well to, you know, develop that capacity for mindfulness and equanimity and just being present for things. And this idea of kind of being present in a simple way, allowing what's obvious to show itself to you, and what's obvious becomes maybe more subtle over time, eventually uh, mental constructs slow down, activities of the mind slow down enough that what begins to become clearer, and I would say is more intimate to ourselves, closer and more valuable in a sense, is the quality of the mind, the state of the mind. And, um, and we are the custodian, the quality of our mind. We put something to care for. The kind of our inner, our state of being, kind of. And our state of being can be in many different ways. And some of it's very uncomfortable and painful to be with. Some of it's very nice. But as we get down into this deeper place, a state of how we are, a state of mind or state of heart, that now we're getting down to things that you know, count much more than knee pain or count much more than, you know, hearing one more car go down Glen Canyon Road. You know, we're coming to something which has some different kind of value uh, for this process of really taking care of ourselves and really becoming freer or having a, a happier life. Because that's where the real happiness, that's real freedom, is, comes, is clo getting close to it now through the quality state of how we are. And that, you know, Buddhism, Buddhist practice um, is clearly about, and respectfully about caring for ourselves, practicing sometimes with tremendous effort, effort uh, not, to not to run away from something, but because we're valuable, we're precious. There's life, is, life is important in a certain kind of way, and our well-being is important. Our ability to become free of suffering is, is a valuable thing, because we're valuable. Just like there's a certain degree of, of uh, seeing the worthiness, the value of other life, so is our life. So to, to sit quietly and pay attention this way and really be here. And then over time, to kind of get kind of stiller or quieter or have the mindfulness become stronger. To be able to come in, take that journey that leads somewhere. The Dharma, Dharma path leads somewhere. So it leads to, you know, here, what's here? It's really here and come to this place of the quality of mind, the quality, our state of our being. And, um, <clears throat> and, and, um, and that can be the answer to that question, or how we, just, how, we, how we experience it. It can be in your own words, in your own terms. It could be something very simplistic like, uh, you know, the quality of my inner life feels good. Or, you know, the state of my mind, the state of my heart, is lousy. Not exactly technical terms, but you know, that's, you know, that's enough just to feel how it is and to hold that in an obvious way, just be with it. Um, and there's something about just being present for some of these deeper aspects of us, the state of our inner life, even if it's difficult, 
painful. It just one hand it's just another whetstone. So we can just kind of be content to keep being mindful. On the other hand, there's something about being present, being mindful, attentive to what's really going on in a deeper way, uh, that is of kind of love or care or respect, compassion. I think that to, for, to, uh, for people to be seen really clearly is a kind of love, or to feel like you're really seen and known, you know, it, it's, it's a valuable thing to experience. So we can offer that to ourselves. So we, it's with time, with time, we come in to this quality, inner state of being. So how is it? And there's a variety of ways we can experience our state of our mind. It's not a mental construct that comes and goes, that's there when we think, but it's more like a mood, or more like a lingering state that we're in. States and moods can also shift the quality of the mind, quality of the heart can shift over time, but it tends to last longer. And it can be kind of a, uh, uh, it can very much color how we experience ourselves in the world depending on what that inner state is. If we are angry, then, um, you know, we can be angry as a mental construct of the moment, passes through quickly, and it's gone. Or we can be angry as kind of a mood, the quality of our heart seems angry, as the inner state is just, you know, fuming. And, um, and then, it, then it becomes kind of like everything is seen through a, a filter lens of aversion. Everything is wrong, everything's bad. This is how we see it. If uh, the this, this state of the mind is one of desire, the state of, you know, if there's just all this yearning and longing and wanting, then uh, 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 the, the, we have this filter on how we experience the world where we see everything in terms of what's in it for me, what my desire, how can I fulfill this, how can I get something. But it can be kind of a mood, of des the mood of desiring, mood of wanting or longing. There can be mood of aversion. There can also be a mood or a state or quality of just being confused. Uh, the Buddha called it deluded. He's kind of confused, deluded, not quite sure what's going on, and uh, you know, kind of, it all seems kind of vague and complicated, and or, you know, very unsure. And uh, or there can be a mood of the opposite, of clarity and certainty, and and um, you know, there's it's not cloudy, not uncertain what's going on or confusing. It, you know, you're, you're, clearly clear what's going on and clear what the purpose is and this is what we're doing. There can be moods or inner states of goodwill, of generosity. And so that does produce a little bit of a perspective where we tend to see in, in good ways, see, see in ways where we tend to see what's favorable in people and the goodness in people and the world around us, a greater sense of appreciation. There can be, um, you know, feelings of love. And we kind of go, go love or compassion can be kind of a mood. One of the great gifts that this practice gave me is uh, to have uh, ha it awoken me or helped me recognize this amazing treasure of compassion. I think compassion is one of the great states, moods, mind states, ways of being.
It's warm. It feels, you know, just feels like it feels very comfortable to have compassion in and of itself. It's precious. It's a wonderful way to be in the world, to have this welling up of compassion or care. Not because we should, not because we're manufacturing it, because it's kind of the state that we are in. So the state of the mind, you know. So the, the ninth step of Anapanasati is to uh, know the mind, know your mind state. Breathing in, one knows one's mind. Breathing out, one knows one's mind. And um, now we're you know, getting closer in to what's really happening here, kind of at the more, more deeply, I would say even more valuable. And, um, but by the time we get to really experience it well, uh, the hope is that we now know more about how to be present, be mindful, without being for or against, without getting agitated or activated, without having to make a lot of commentary and thoughts about it. Because the Buddha says, just know it. He doesn't say, know it and hate it, know it and fix it, know it and compliment yourself. Just, just know. And it's amazing, it's amazing that we have this capacity to know anything. I mean, just think. Not so long ago, there was this big bang, the beginning of our universe. Did, did that explosion know itself? Did that explosion know anything at all? I, mean, I wasn't there, so. Or I guess I was there. We were all there. <laughs> at least our, the, our, you know, our physical life was there. Isn't that kind of amazing? That just a few years ago, we were all our our physical, material things that we have here were all pressed against each other in a singularity. I hope I hope you had the right one next to me. <laughs> you know, it's like it's the, you know, and then it's all kind of expanded, and you know, the singularity somehow that we were all pressed. You know, our bodies, our material form is all pressed together in this like amazingly dense, apparently dense thing. And, and look, all the space between us now in this room. <laughs> we have breathing room. And um, but more amazingly, somehow. There's knowing. There's awareness. I love the expression that uh, you know that through us, nature knows itself. Through our eyes, the universe knows itself. If we're all nature, if we're all the universe, then this is the universe's way of knowing itself in a certain way. So this idea of knowing, but to allow the knowing, the mindfulness to have a quality of stillness or a quality of non-agitation, a quality of subtleness.
piece, and the Buddhist tradition puts a lot of emphasis, not a lot, but uh, at some points puts emphasis on having a still mind. But not a still mind that's frozen, but rather a still mind that's kind of, you know, just beautifully just present and open and soft. A mind that's not moving or being moved, not being pushed around by experience. The winds of change don't then change the mind. A still place in the knowing, in the awareness. I like to think of this still place within as a place that's closely connected to love. It's not frozen. There's a warmth there. There's a maybe compassion or somehow there. It's not um, stiff. And in the midst of whatever is happening, to allow yourself to be still. And in that stillness, maybe there's love or compassion or something warmth or maybe some freedom. So, to know something about, you know, to understand something about the still knowing, a non-reactive knowing, a knowing that just knows. So not only do we know what's obvious, but we know simply. We know in very uncomplicated ways, just know, it's like this. And in an uncomplicated knowing, there's not for or against. We're not pulling in the mental constructs and ideas of preferences, the mental constructs of even a doer. I'm the one doing this. We're not pulling in and, and uh, encasing the knowing in commentary and judgments. to hear a sound and have the mind be still, maybe in the way, if you've ever been to an early morning dawn in a mountain lake, so everything is still. The air is still, there's no very little sound. Just everything feels still, like nothing's, nothing's started up. And, and that stillness is so precious, so, there's a, it's like, it isn't that we've been shut down in the stillness. It's, it's refreshing and peaceful and nourishing stillness of mind. So we hear a sound and the sound is heard in the stillness of the mind. And the mind doesn't go out, what's that sound? And I should write a letter to the mayor of Santa Cruz about the traffic here and we need to have, you know, only allow battery up, you know, electric cars so can, because it's a meditation center, it should be quiet. And, and you know, and mind, you know, has gotten busy and activated and and then you imagine the mayor writes back and 
and and then certainly it's not favorable and so then you get angry and and then you realize you're angry on a Buddhist meditations retreat and and then you think, well, you're not supposed to, so I better pretend I'm not. <laughs> and then it gets more complicated from there. And the mind has moved, it got agitated, versus just hearing the sound with a still mind. Let it be. To have the breathing, breathing in and breathing out, in a sweet way kind of intimate way, having something inside that's still, a still place of knowing, clearly knowing the breath, but somehow the, the knowing is still. It's kind of almost as if like the still mind is like space, and the experience of breathing moves through the space, back and forth, back and forth, in that still, quiet space. Or you see a thought, or wherever a thought going through the mind. And rather than picking up the thought, getting involved in the thought, the thought drifts by in the stillness or the spaciousness of the mind. So as we keep practicing, it's not like a switch that you can turn on, and now I'm going to be still. But there is this movement towards that as we get simpler and stay with the obvious and no longer, you know, trying so much to do things and accomplish or get away. And trusting the deeper process, trusting the unfolding. Trusting the unfolding that comes when we're present, when we relax, when we allow ourselves to feel a sense of well-being here. And so then we have the, the ninth step, the the first step of the third tetrad is breathing in, knowing the mind. Breathing out, knowing the mind. So what is, so one way of saying this, know the inner state, your inner state. What state of being are you in? How does it, is it characterized by greed? Or by generosity? Is it characterized by ill will or by goodwill? Is it characterized by confusion or by clarity? Is the inner state that you have, is it contracted and tight or is it scattered, fragmented? Sometimes we feel very contracted and small the mind feels contracted and sometimes our inner life feels completely scattered and fragmented and swirling around. Does it, is the quality of mind, does it feel expansive? The word is, in Pali is maha, is it, is it large? Is your awareness, this field of your awareness, large? Sometimes I ask people to pay attention, who are doing mindfulness on retreat, to notice 
if um, you know, then you know, notice how they are always, but that when they wander off in thought, maybe like a really good battle thinking. So just wait. Just don't 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 manufacture it. But if it should happen that you get pulled into some really good juicy thinking, you know, something strong, and um, then notice what's happened to the quality of your awareness, the char characteristic of your, in, your, your awareness. And some of the answers I get from people, they say, oh, it got contracted. It became really small. Before, it had more, more, it more big, more expansive, more open. And it was more loose and relaxed. Then it kind of got contracted. Some people say that it got dark. They felt more somehow. They not that it active light exactly, but a little bit more, more luminous or something. And then when they got locked, you know, locked, locked on to some thought, it kind of like that luminosity or clarity or something of the mind got dark. Some people, when they get really settled and calm and in the present moment, this, the state of mind, the quality of mind, state of awareness can feel very large and spacious. Can feel because awareness is not a thing. And if it's not being defined or not being hemmed in, there's actually no boundaries. There's no wall around awareness. There's no boundary that holds it in place. And as some of the constructs and activities of the mind that we're preoccupied with fall away enough, then there can be a sense that, yes, there's no boundaries to awareness, to knowing. And it spreads out. It's actually, some people to report that it's boundless. It has no, boundless awareness. One's, one's mind, one's attention spreads out to a wide area. Some people, when they hear a sound, I mean, yes, I mean, logically or kind of rationally, yes, the sounds you can just hear, that sound is far away and I'm here. But with a very relaxed, soft mind, still mind, it's almost as if the awareness stretches as far out, far away as the sound is. We know the waves, sound waves come to us. But the feeling is that that's very expansive, very open. So the mind, the awareness can feel very large. At times the inner mind state can feel um, it's just really wonderful. At times, the mind state can feel very concentrated, very strong sense of being settled and composed, ability to focus and really kind of hear and the sense of a stable, settled, focused mind. It's very clear. There are other times it feels like it's scattered. And it's possible to have the state of the mind feel like it's, really feel how we're caught. How we're just like everything's caught and tight and there's a lot of attachments and kind of limited. And, 
And it's possible to feel the mind is uncaught. Mind is free and mind is liberated. The awareness is unbounded again, sp spread out. <clears throat> no matter how it is, the mind, the mind state, whether it's caught or not caught, whether it's filled with hate and ill will, or whether it's filled with goodwill, or whether it's peaceful and calm, expansive, or whether it's contracted and scattered. It's all equally valuable as the whetstone to know this, and to recognize it's just another whetstone in which to be mindful of can be supportive, helpful to stay still with it. To kind of, something can be still. Something doesn't have to get activated and reactive. Oh, this too. Not a problem, it's just something else to know. But it's also to be possible to begin appreciating that we're getting down now to what's important. We're getting close to you know, what's really kind of most intimate and maybe most what makes us alive or makes us, you know, valuable to live. That the, that the, some of the more beautiful qualities, some of the more important ways in which we operate come out of the state of the mind, the quality of the mind. So that even if it's difficult what you encounter when you really drop in, be encouraged because now you're getting, <clears throat> you're getting it's like you finally come home. And until you've come home, you're actually kind of wandering around the neighborhood. Maybe, you know, when you were just in your body, feeling your body, you were like just roaming around the town. But when you, you know, were in your, mindful of your feelings and your mental constructs, like you finally got to your block. But when you really get to the mind state, the quality of the mind, now you're finally home. It just happens to be, sometimes it's kind of messy in some of the rooms. <laughs> but at least you're home. And now you can clean it, now you can work on it. But if you go out, you know, you could also go back out to the block and go, you know, night out in the town or, <clears throat> you know, just, and, um, <clears throat> But then you can, you know, you're not really at home, caring for home, setting up the home in a nice way. So this idea of just sitting, relaxing, being, giving your chance to, giving yourself a chance to settle, beginning to learn something about the value of just knowing. the value of meeting what's happening with this precious phenomena of awareness. Just be aware. As if awareness makes the space where something deeper can unfold, something deeper can show itself. Not that you're probing, <clears throat> but you're allowing the obvious to show itself to you. And at times, as you kind of stay, it goes, comes and goes, up and down, but to you know, at some point it gets more intimate than here. So there's this journey. And there is this trusting of the journey if you're practicing attention, just being aware. 
And one of the aspects of this trust <clears throat> is that if you're really sincerely kind of engaged in the simple act of just being present for what is, there are no mistakes. Your inner nature, the Dharma, knows what needs to happen. And you can come to a sitting and it can feel kind of sweet and nice and calm and come back to the next sitting and it's the opposite. It's just challenging, difficult, you can't sit still, your body aches. And one, one way to deal with that is to conclude that this is wrong, this shouldn't have happened, you blew it, it and you know, might as well go home. I think the more appropriate way of seeing it <coughs> is that something inside of you knew where the next lesson was going to be. Knew, knows what is the next thing you have to meet and be with and learn how to discover mindfulness and awareness. Sometimes it's because we've opened up into a calm, still place that it's kind of like opens a door to, to a new room in your house clean one room so you can get through it. You open the door and then there's another messy room. You're not, you're not going backwards just because things get more difficult. Sometimes that's how you go forward. So it's very helpful to learn to trust this inner process. Something in us knows. Something in us knows what's, when it's time to show us something. So often the path is described linearly, like the 16 steps of Anapanasati, like, you know, from coarser to more subtle or something, as if, you know, we started on the top of a slide and there's only one way to go. Um, it's more like the, this process is pointing east to go to the Atlantic, and you have to go all this different kind of terrain. All the different things appear as you go along. Some are difficult, some are easy, but you're constantly going east. And when the time is ripe, when the time is appropriate, then at some point the quality of the mind, the kind of something deeper and more intimate, something you feel like in your bosom or in your heart or close in, how is it? How are you? How are you really? How are you deep inside? And regardless of what you find, can you hold it in awareness with a still mind, with a, st a stillness? The more difficult it is, the more valuable it is to sit in the middle of it Sit still in the middle of it and be kind. Sit still in the middle of it and have love. Just sit quietly in the middle and see it, know it. So step nine is breathing in, knowing the mind. Breathing out, knowing the mind.
And then if I was going to summarize the whole talk, at least what I was trying to say, in two words, those words would be trust awareness. Trust awareness. And if you need four words, <laughs> trust awareness and relax. Thank you. <laughs>